Hello, my name's Florence. Welcome to the OBS pod. I'm an NHS obstetrician, hoping to share some thoughts and experiences about my working life. Perhaps you enjoy Call the Midwife, maybe birth fascinates you, or you're simply curious about what exactly an obstetrician is. You might be pregnant and preparing for birth. Perhaps you work in maternity and want to know what makes your obstetric colleagues tick, or you want some fresh ideas and inspiration. Whichever of these is the case, and for that matter, anyone else that's interested, the OBSPOD is for you. Episode 6, Night Shift. So I don't really think there's anything you can do to prepare for work in such a high pressure and exhausting environment. I know lots of jobs do night shifts. Obstetricians are certainly not alone. But I'm going to talk a bit today about my experience of working night shifts. My first ever night shift, yes, we'd stayed up as medical students, but we didn't have to stay up and we didn't have to carry on the next day. My first night, um, I was up all night. Um, I was covering five wards as a surgical house officer and there were a lot of routine jobs that were left to nighttime work. I was so exhausted by the morning having spent all night seeing unwell patients, writing up drug charts and fluids, setting up syringe drivers of medication that I was taking blood tests in the morning and we had to write the name of a patient on the blood test bottle and I actually ended up writing my own name and date of birth on the blood test bottle because my brain just wasn't functioning. Yes, we worked shifts, but they were mainly 24-hour shifts. So this is before the European Working Time Directive started. So we would work 24 hours on call and then often work the next day. I also worked several jobs where we worked the entire weekend. So you would work Friday as a normal day and then you'd come in on Saturday. You'd work all through Saturday day, Saturday night, Sunday day, Sunday night um, and then often the Monday as well and then go home Monday evening. I've already mentioned at one point I was working in a hospital that was a long drive, long motorway drive away. And I often would drive home after a weekend on call, sort of on automatic pilot. So I'd be driving around the M25 motorway and I would suddenly almost like come to and think, oh, how did I get to this point in my journey? I don't remember driving that bit and yet I'm already here. Sometimes it was more obvious I was sleepy and I would wind down the windows of the car, have the radio or music blaring in a desperate attempt to get the cold air and the sound to keep me awake. Really dangerous actually behaviour but behaviour that we were all partaking in. Partly because not only was it exhausting, but there was a kind of superhero culture. No discussion about the possibility of not managing. 
we all wanted to work long shifts because that way you worked less frequently. So if you were on a one in four or a one in five rotor, if you do the entire weekend, 48 hours, you only have to do it once a month or once every five weeks. Whereas if you split the weekends, you're literally working every other weekend. It was very rare for anyone to take a day off sick. Getting jobs in those days were dependent on references, what your consultants thought of you, what your other colleagues thought of you, and you needed to be seen to be a team player. So we had a a definite bravado of never being tired, never being ill, and certainly never being fallible. To start with, the provision of non-call room was actually quite good. In some hospitals, we even had our own permanent room for a whole job. And this was really nice. This was a place to chill out, keep our things, perhaps books that we were using to study for exams, a change of clothes, toiletries, our own kind of private space in which to kind of take a bit of a break. Some hospitals had a doctor's mess, a real kind of social hub where one could get food, one could watch TV, one could chill out. Um, And one place I worked had the most fantastic dinner ladies who would put aside a meal for those on duty, ready for us to grab whenever we had a spare moment so that we never missed a meal in that, that hospital, which was fantastic. It was much more common, though, to have one room used by whichever doctor was on duty. And these were often in pretty parlous states of repair. Sometimes or quite frequently, these were on the labour ward itself so that the rare snatches of sleep we had were disturbed by the noises of women in labour. I remember one on call room where the curtains were so badly fitted that we held them together with surgical instruments These are called Spencer Wells, a sort of clip. So we would kind of clip them together in an attempt to keep the room dark enough to sleep, particularly in summer summer nights, which can be very light from very early in the morning. We would sleep in our scrubs. The bleep would go off. You'd fumble for the bedside light, answer and head off to the relevant delivery room. You could have just collapsed into bed minutes before, Or you could have had a nap of an hour or so and be roused from actually really quite deep sleep. Sometimes it would become clear that I'd even answered in my sleep. So one time when I was doing my paediatric jobs, I answered my bleep and the voice on the other end said, where are you? And I said, what do you mean, where are you? And they said, we're in theatre doing that caesarean we told you about. You need to be here for the baby. And I realised that I must have answered in my sleep. I had no recollection of having been phoned and told there was a caesarean at all. We must have looked a terrible fright to the women because we would fall out of bed in crumpled scrubs that we'd been sleeping in with hair all over the place, you know, bedhead hair. And that way we were fully clothed, ready to go. And we would go straight into whichever room uh, or woman we were supposed to be seeing. And I sometimes wondered if they realised that I'd just been woken up um, and that I was literally just kind of coming around. The kindness of the team on was invaluable. So midwives and support workers would make us a cup of tea to keep us going. 
knowing that we would be perhaps one or two of us, an SHO or registrar, making all the decisions and having responsibility for the whole unit. In the middle of the night, it could feel pretty lonely, um, that sense of responsibility weighing heavily on our shoulders. As I got more senior, the attitude to sleeping on call changed. European Working Time Directive came in, limiting the number of junior doctors' hours. And the result was we became much more shift workers, more similar to nurses and midwives. And it was even raised that if we slept on duty, we could be disciplined. So the on-call rooms got removed, literally, physically. Uh, I've worked in places where the on-call room got knocked down or it got made into an office for other members of staff. Beds were removed and uh, sometimes we would um, catnap on patient beds if they happened to be empty. In one hospital for a long time, I slept on a portable mattress on the floor in a small storeroom across the corridor from the theatres. I brought in the mattress and a sleeping bag each shift and literally camped. And in the morning, I would have to get up and pack up as the staff came in in the morning and and take stuff back to my car. Now our junior doctors have an office. It's not allowed to be called an on-call room. The slight concession is they've got a reclining chair and a sofa. But this has been a battle to keep it. These days, there's much more understanding about human factors and how the window of circadian low may influence decisions and our ability to function in the early hours of the morning. The Royal College of Anaesthetists is doing quite a lot of work about the importance of sleep during a shift um, and the benefit that may bring in improving care of patients, even if you have short naps. And as a team where I work now, we're doing quite a lot of training in human factors and the importance of looking after ourselves in our ability to function. When I became a consultant, I had to take the next step in night shifts and adjust to being on call, but actually leaving the building. Very few maternity units have resident consultants at night and becoming confident enough to trust the team and leave knowing that you had to because you had to be able to function the next day to do some work the next day is a really important step. So it felt really peculiar being on call, being on duty, but having to actually exit the building. And this requires quite a lot of skill. So the first issue is to be really aware of what's happening on the labour ward. So we usually don't leave till quite late at night. Our rotor um, has us leaving at about 10.30, but often you can end up leaving a bit later, depending on what's happening. And you know what's happening with the women that are currently in labour, and therefore you can anticipate what issues might arise, what complications might arise, and what might be needed. And therefore, before you leave, you can give a really clear set of instructions about when you want to be phoned, what you're expecting to happen um, and what the plans might be for the women that are currently there. Obviously, new women may come in with uh, problems that you can't plan for. Um, And 
So the other aspect is to judge the skill and experience of the doctor who's on call overnight. So it's harder being on call when our junior doctors have just rotated, which happens twice a year, because we've got to get to know them and get to know what their capability is, who's confident to do things, who needs more support, um, and gauge what their level of experience with some particular clinical situations is. Once we get to know them, then it's much easier to know what you're going to expect them to ring you for. And we do have some overall rules about ringing if you need to take a woman to theatre for a caesarean and ringing if you're going to go um, to theatre in any case so that we know what's happening on the labour ward, what else we might be called for. And then there are certain clinical situations and there's some guidance from the Royal College of Obstetricians and Gynaecologists about when we might be expected to attend overnight and what clinical situations like perhaps a placenta previa or a woman with more difficult previous surgery um, so that we would come in and support. So part of it is judging the skill and experience of the registrar and the other key person is the midwife in charge. So agreeing with the midwife in charge what she might need to do to support that registrar and also when she should ring for help. The hardest thing is when there's a locum registrar because you don't know them at all, you don't know their level of experience and then the midwife in charge is really crucial in letting you know what's going on in the unit and when things are okay and when they aren't. It's very difficult to sleep when you're on call, it's a different quality of sleep. You certainly go home with quite a lot of things going around your mind and if you're woken for advice it's difficult to get back to sleep. So you're thinking about the case that you've just discussed. Have you given the right advice? And is the registrar following that advice? And are things going um, safely and well? So it's quite difficult to sleep. You might have several interruptions overnight. Um, So people ring for advice about particular cases. And then they ring because you need to come in. And We come in probably about a third of the time, I would say. It's very, very frustrating when something goes wrong and you haven't been phoned. There's nothing sadder than that, Um, whether that is with a mother or a baby, that sense of, if only you'd phoned me. But that doesn't happen very often because we do have very experienced midwives in charge and we do have registrars that we've agreed very clear plans with but certainly when I started out as a consultant that sense of if only was much more frequent. The other thing is what if the phone's quiet? That can be quite unnerving. Sometimes if we wake up and we've been undisturbed we worry the phone may have broken or what's happened overnight in the unit and We usually go in the morning after the on-call and pop up to the labour ward and see what's happened. What happened to that case you took to theatre that you talked to me about? What's happened to that woman? And that's really good to check in with the doctors the next morning, check in with what they phoned you about and does it match what was actually happening? And that kind of sense of um, feedback and reflection on the advice you've given and, and their training as well. Sometimes when we're rung, it's frustrating because we've been called a bit too late. So the rules are that we have to live within 30 minutes drive of the hospital. 
30 minutes isn't very long and a lot of us live a bit closer and often I can be rung and told a woman is going to theatre and I can jump in the car and get to the hospital only to discover she's not even moved from the room into the theatre yet because I've got there so quickly. But sometimes we're rung too late. There are some emergencies that we could anticipate um, or perhaps we couldn't anticipate, but you know by the time you're going to get there, it's going to be too late. And one particular time I was rung about a set of twins and vaginal twin delivery is straightforward if you know what you're doing and you manage it well. And I'll talk about that in another episode. And some of our registrars are very competent and skilled at that and some of them aren't. So with a twin delivery, I will often say to the doctor, ring me when she's fully dilated. Don't wait till she's about to birth twin one. Ring me when she's fully dilated and I will come in. And I know that will give me plenty of time to be there for the birth. One time I was rung to say, having agreed that they would call me when she was fully dilated, I was rung to say, the first twin's out. The second twin is breech and I'm worried about the heartbeat. What shall I do? Well, that is a real heart in mouth moment because actually by the time I get there, it's probably going to be too late. They hadn't rung me when I'd asked them to. And talking them through on the phone what they should be doing was horrendous. And you've got to remember when you're ringing a consultant at home, you're potentially waking their partner and their children. And in this case, my husband remembers vividly this phone call. And I talked the registrar through the breach second twin delivery and everything was fine. But don't do that. Don't leave it so late when I'm feeling helpless at the other end of the phone. And I know if I jump in the car, it's not going to be enough. When you've come in, you flip into work mode and you carry on and you do whatever you need to do. And then comes that moment when you're sitting, writing your notes and having a cup of tea and you've got to decide, have I really got time to go home? Can I get any more sleep? If not, can I freshen up with a shower and come back before my day starts again? So there's that kind of, shall I just stay here now? I'm here moment which is also quite difficult to manage. The context of taking work phone calls at home is interesting when you have small children as well. One of my daughters, her bedroom is right next to my bedroom and she's quite a light sleeper and she used to wake up, not necessarily from the phone call, but from me talking and me creeping out. So you'd be close literally buy in a pile by the bed, stick them on, grab your car key, ready to go. And as I'm creeping out past her door, I used to hear, mummy. And I'd have to pop in and kiss her and hug her and tell her it's okay. I'm just going to the hospital. 
And sometimes she would ask, is it a mummy or a baby? Because she knew I looked after mum, mummies and babies. And sometimes when I would creep back in, she would be awake again for a little hug. And that would be nice. But it shows how being an obstetrician, being a doctor impacts on your home life. Very much so. It's not something that just stays at work. So now I'm coming to today's zesty bit. So the zesty bit today is remember you may be tired. It's difficult for any of us to perform well on night duty. We are not nocturnal. However hard we try, we're going to be fallible. We're going to be tired we may lose our sense of what's going on. And the safest way to deal with that is to cross-check with others, cross-check your thinking, get fresh ideas and fresh thoughts. If you're a midwife, that might be to get a doctor into the room to check or the midwife in charge. If you're a doctor, that might be ringing your consultant, chatting things through on the phone. Have you thought of everything you should have? And if you're a consultant, that might be the midwives and junior doctors saying to you, hang on a minute, have you thought of this? So in a safe team, it's about us all checking with each other because anyone on the team could be more alert and have an idea and be able to flag up something that's been missed to the others. If you're a woman yes, of course, you need to trust the team that are looking after you. So don't worry when other people come in to perhaps have a look at the baby's heartbeat trace or have a feel of your tummy and check things. We do that a lot to try and keep things safe. And if people are making decisions, perhaps check how many people are making that decision. Have they had a discussion about it? And what's your opinion about it? And It's okay to ask, does the consultant know? What does the consultant think? Do you need to ring the consultant? Either because you're a woman saying, have you phoned the consultant? If you're going to theatre, it's not unreasonable to know that the consultant is aware and has agreed with that plan. And if you're a midwife, our midwives in charge ring our consultants direct. But saying to the registrar, have you thought perhaps you need to ring the consultant? supporting those junior doctors that's not undermining them that is being safe that's helping each other through that window of circadian low helping each other through the difficult tiredness that is night shift so work as a team and escalate so that is today's zesty bit so i do hope you've enjoyed listening to the obs pod If you have, do like, subscribe or leave a review and join me again to explore more about the life of an NHS obstetrician. I'm finding it really exciting to have people listening and give me feedback about what they've found interesting. So please do recommend the ObsPod to other friends, colleagues or people who you think might find it interesting. I'd love it if you'd share with me what you've enjoyed about listening and if you've done anything differently as a result. 
I can be found on Twitter at FW Maternity and at the OBSPod. And please do check the MATEXP hashtag, hashtag M-A-T-E-X-P and the website matexp.org.uk for more information and ideas on how to improve women's experience of maternity care. Finally, I'd like to reassure you that I take confidentiality very seriously and although I'm talking about experiences from my working life, I'm taking great pains to make sure that I anonymise the stories and talk in more general terms so that I keep confidentiality of my women I currently care for and have cared for in the past very safe. Many thanks for listening.